Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr, along with my colleagues, Scarlett Fu and Damian Sassauer. Coming up on the show, we check in with Martin Adnell. He's Goulston and Storrs Sports Law Practice Co-Chair and Adjunct Law Professor at Columbia University. We'll get his thoughts on some of the latest legal headlines in sports, including Jim Harbaugh's sign-stealing scandal. The fact that other teams may be stealing signs is not at least at law, should not be a defense to it, but it captures public opinion. If everybody's doing it, why single out Michigan? Plus, I am super, S-U-P-E-R, excited about this one with the Detroit Lions riding high this season. We'll hear from NFL Hall of Famer Barry Sanders. He'll talk with us about his new documentary and a little bit about this year's Lions. Whenever they hire Coach Campbell, um, he came in with a plan, with a vision. Um, you know, he, he stuck to it. You know, he and Brad Holmes, uh, Sheila Ford, Chris Millman. I mean, they, they've uh, known from day one the kind of player they want to have in the building. Um, you know, and, and we've seen every year this team take strides. And it's all sort of coming together this year. All that is straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. But first, the Oakland A's are another step closer to moving to Las Vegas. MLB owners voted unanimously in favor to allow the athletics to move. To take us through how we got here and what's next in the A's quest for a new home, we welcome Bloomberg News Municipal Finance Team Leader, Danielle Moran. Danielle, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Hi, guys. I'm happy to be here. Well, let's start from the beginning. This is going to happen now because it, all the owners signed off on this said, okay, well, you guys can go ahead to Vegas. And uh, I'm sure Vegas is happy, and I'm sure, unfortunately, Oakland is not. Yes. In a unanimous vote, the MLB owners approved the Oakland A's move to Las Vegas. So it is the next big step in that relocation. And of course, part of the relocation, part of what prompted all this is where the A's play. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The stadium that the A's played in in Oakland was, uh, to be polite, left something to be desired. It was old. It was some people might say decrepit, and the A's were angling for a new stadium, and there was difficulty with that. Can you tell us a little bit more about what Las Vegas, what Nevada has agreed to to provide the team? The ballpark is really all it comes down to here. So the A's have been angling for a new ballpark for decades. They've tried to do it in Oakland numerous times. The last proposal was a waterfront facility um, that would have been at an old shipping site, essentially. And it was very controversial in the city. And it's exactly what you said. The Coliseum is... One source called it a relic of a bygone age. It was <laughs> almost impossible to play in. It wasn't great for the for the fans. It wasn't great for the team. It, lights would fall down periodically and black out. It, it was just an interesting fan experience, to say the least. But they wanted a new ballpark, and they were looking at it in Oakland. The 
public financing angle of it just wasn't something that the mayor and the city council was willing to commit to. So they started looking at other options and Vegas came up. And this is the third professional sports team to leave Oakland in about the last five years. Well, we talk about building new stadiums in California and that doesn't come without its fair share of wrangling, right? I mean, high cost of labor, environmental standards, yes. all that kind of stuff, taxpayers, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. But but really at the end of the day, if you look at the franchise value of the Oakland, oh, sorry, the, new, the Las Vegas Athletics, is that gonna be right? Oh my God. If you look at their franchise value, it's not driven by ticket sales anymore now, is it? It's driven by other sort of things, one of which is sports gambling. So talk to us a little bit about maybe the fact that Nevada has legalized sports gambling and California doesn't. Did that did that kind of come into this in, at all in any way, shape, or form, Danielle? It's really hard to say what went into the calculus, but you have to keep in mind that professional sports teams now are not just sports teams. They're entertainment behemoths. They want the media. They want the flashy lights, the hotels, the gaming, everything surrounding the team. And Vegas is a really appealing environment for that. Las Vegas is just booming now because yes. you have, you know, the Raiders, you're going to have the A's. You have uh, the Spear. Yeah. They had the Grand Prix, which mm-hmm. actually the Grand Prix wasn't bad. But you know, it wasn't bad. Now, was it? I no. mean, and with all the, the the stuff surrounding it, right, with the manhole covers and everything, yeah. I mean, that was one heck of a race. Probably the best one of the year. Yeah, it was. So Danielle's like, okay, thanks. I showed up for this. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is, is that Las Vegas is really jumping. Well, Danielle, I have a question for you. You know, the history of baseball in the Oakland Bay City area. I mean, you think about it, right? Raleigh Fingers. You think about, you know, I'm sorry, Frank Robinson, Jimmy Rollins, Ricky Henderson. You name it, Dave Stewart. You know, talk to us about, you know, the hole that's been left in that city now that this is the last sports franchise to leave. I mean, what comes next for Oakland? I mean, it's a cultural deficit that's been left there. You have had three sports teams leave. The Raiders went to Vegas as well. The uh, Golden State Warriors moved across the Bay to San Francisco. And now the A's were the last ones available. And that is a real shock for the city. And it's really upsetting for a lot of the longtime residents there that used to have three teams that they could cheer for and now don't have any. Do you think that, you know, there's going to be an exodus of, of you know, literally people leaving the Oakland area because of this because they have no teams to root for? Or, or am I you know, going a bit too, stretching a bit too far there? I think that's a bit of a stretch. I feel like a lot of People will keep their loyalty to the team, even if they move locations, but they'll probably, other factors keep them in in Oakland. They have schools, they have apartments, they have lives there, so they'll root virtually or over the TV. I gotta ask you, because you contrast the Oakland A's to the San Francisco Giants, who are doing very well financially, have their own ballpark, and... I remember when they first moved into Pac Bell, which is now, what is it called? AT&T Park, SBC? Mm-hmm. It's changed names so many different times. But they kept talking about how this was privately funded, that um, the San Francisco Giants did not need to tap taxpayers for their new stadium, whereas Oakland was trying to get taxpayers to essentially subsidize their stadium. Danielle, as someone who covers the muni market, <laughs> Can an, an arena, can a stadium actually be completely privately funded? So when these ball, ball clubs say, oh, we pay for it ourselves, is that 100% true? It, it really depends. So in Oakland, the A's organization said that the ballpark would have been privately financed. What they needed was, I think it was about a billion dollars for the infrastructure around it. So the ballpark itself, the actual facility of the stadium, would have been funded by the A's organization. 
but everything that needed to support it. So you have streets and sidewalks and water facilities, transport to get from across this rail yard into the stadium area would is public dollars and probably would have been funded through some sort of bonding. I would like to talk about the stadium that they would have to construct for this because in the summertime, it's 217 degrees in Las Vegas. <laughs> it's very hot. They, obviously, this has got to be like a domed stadium where it's air-conditioned. They don't know exactly what it will look like yet. So the original proposal um, has been scrapped and they're planning to do a new design, which is highly anticipated. People are very anxious to, to see what the new ballpark will look like um, right near the Las Vegas Strip. But it will likely be domed in some way, some sort of either retractable roof or permanent dome that has yet to be seen. A retractable roof is quite expensive, um, but also you have those very nice Vegas nights in the wintertime where it can be nice and breezy. So having that indoor-outdoor experience is attractive for fans. Well, Danielle, I think a $1.5 billion, 30,000-seat ballpark with a retractable roof mm-hmm. was approved, right? I think that was kind of what the, the if I'm not mistaken, what went to you know went went to you know the legislature for financing. But you know, my question is this: I mean, you think John Fisher will ever be allowed in the Bay City area ever again? Like, when was the last time you think he set foot in like the Oakland city limits? I mean, this. I mean, what he did to this team and the fact that he pulled them out and. I mean, it's got to be, it's got to not sit well. I mean, I remember, quite frankly, when, you know, the Dodgers left, the Giants left New York, you know, I'm, 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 I'm you know, I'm 150 years old, you know, so I, I remember these things. But, you know, the reality is when they left, you couldn't get those fans to move over to the Yankees. They hated them so much, right? So that was the beginning of the Mets. So I'm just curious, you know, if you think that these Oakland A's fans are going to kind of migrate over to the Giants, I mean, Michael Barr, what are your thoughts there? I mean, where do you go? I think it's going to be like the Bob Ursay of, <laughs> of sports. If you remember, the story is like, you know, back when you had the Baltimore Colts and Ursay one night packed up the whole team yep. and then left. And you want to talk about the name of mud that <laughs> Bob Ursay he people were mad and well yeah I guess that Danielle I guess that does bring up a point I mean it's like what what uh, we were talking about what will, will you get the fan club mm-hmm. will you get that heading over now into Las Vegas from the A's from Oakland to Las right, Vegas. Right, these legacy fans. Right. One thing I mean, John Fisher is not a popular man in Oakland. Um, <laughs> he's not their favorite person. The fans actually earlier this year after this looked like it was going to gain some traction and it was going to happen before this most recent vote, they staged a reverse boycott. So the yeah. A's have historically poor attendance and they got all of these people to come and basically reverse a boycott and come to the stadium and show support. Um, whether or not that will stick when it moves a couple of states away is remains to be seen. Even though John Fisher jacked up ticket prices ahead of last season and got rid, of the, got rid of the whole team. Yeah, I, I remember we spoke with Oakland A's president Dave Caval a while ago, and he was talking about how the fan base for Oakland was really dispersed across the nation. It wasn't necessarily just based in Oakland. It was kind of spread out. And so... It goes to that idea, Damien, about even with Oakland moving to Las Vegas, they're less concerned, I guess, from that perspective, because the fan base was always kind of spread out. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this develops, but I mean, they're going to have to play somewhere next year, <laughs> I don't think, or so. I mean, any, any Does thoughts? Does UNLV that, have a baseball I mean, yeah, stadium? where are they going to play? 
So that's up for debate. They have, uh, I think it's a three-year gap in between when the new stadium will be constructed and when their lease ends in Oakland. So um, they could play at their spring training facility in Arizona. They could play at a local site outside of Vegas. One option is to extend their lease at the Coliseum, which is (laughs) a bit controversial. And the mayor wants some sort of uh, commitment from the MLB to get an expansion team if they allow that. So it's, it's all up in the air. Wow. Well, Danielle, I don't know how that relationship is going to go. I could just see now everybody in in Oakland is like, I never did like your mama. Well, take your stuff and get out. But I could see that because they're people are angry. The fans can get you know you yeah they're betrayed. Yeah, I I mean it's they feel you you know we look at it like okay it's a business and it is. But if you're a fan of a team, yeah, it's emotion. You put your emotion into that, and this is what your you know what you're rooting for, and I mean, yes, you mentioned yes, you mentioned Raleigh Fingers and Reggie Jackson before he was a Yankee played for the Oakland A's. Ricky the blue. Henderson, yeah, oh man, see it's the Ricky. You know, it's funny. I'm just going to quote this because it may, it's just Jim Zelensky, who is I think the uh, co-founded Save Oakland Sports, right, which is one of the groups that you know tried to keep the A's in town. Quote. What this vote symbolizes for me is the the it really is the death of the common everyday fan. Full stop. I mean, that is kind of where you're at, right? I mean, the fans mm-hmm. don't have to be in the same locale as their team anymore. I mean, given everything that's going on, obviously, and you know, look, I mean, given all these ways to gamble on your teams, you might like somebody. You know, a team might be your favorite team from a completely different location. So it's just, it's just, yeah, it's a change. You think we change. have a Vegas sports bubble now? I mean, this is peak <laughs> Vegas sports. Yeah. No, I mean, I think Vegas sports is only beginning. It's only scratching the surface. Certainly after we saw F1, I mean, and I mean, look, a lot of people were down on what had been going on in the days preceding the event, but the event itself was fantastic. So I think uh, I think Vegas is up and coming still. And on that high note, Danielle Moran, if I were Bloomberg's own, you are so kind to come by and join us here on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That's Bloomberg News Municipal Finance Team Leader, Danielle Moran. Up next on the show, we take a look at some of the latest legal headlines in the world of sports with Goulston and Stores' Martin Adele. That is straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.
This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scarlett Fu and Damian Sassauer. University of Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh is missing the end of the regular season. He's honoring a three-game ban handed down by the Big Ten, ending the program's sign-stealing drama for now. Harbaugh spoke to the press earlier this week after accepting the suspension and said he felt supported by the Michigan community. Support of President Ono, the Board of Regents, uh, Board Manual is greatly appreciated, as is the tremendous support of our alumni fan base uh, towards our incredible football team. But there are a lot of mixed feelings about the scandal and about Jim Harbaugh. To help us break down the investigation and some other big legal headlines in the world of sports, we welcome back friend of the show, Martin Nadell. He's Goulston and Stewart's law practice co-chair and adjunct law professor at Columbia. Marty, welcome back to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. It's a pleasure to be with all of you again. Thank you for having me. So I'm going to ask the elephant in the room. He's coming in. And he's, oh, look, he's got a sign that says University of Michigan football, and he's got Jim Harbaugh on the other side of the elephant, and we know all of the stuff that's been going on with the University of Michigan maze and blue, suspension this, you know, stealing signs, that. What's going on? Both the NCAA and the Big Ten Conference have claimed that Michigan's football team is engaging in a a signal stealing project over the last couple of years. And the issue right now is the Big Ten has disciplined Michigan by telling uh, Michigan that Coach Harbaugh cannot attend three games. So that's already started. Uh, And the question is, are they right? So are the alumni going to jump in here and protest this? Because look how well Michigan's done under Harbaugh. And <laughs> yeah. You tell them, Scarlett. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. and their defense or their explanation is going to be all the teams steal signs. This is nothing new. So, Scarlett, that's a great point. And the alumni have already jumped in and filed amicus briefs, friend of the court of briefs, in the action that's going on. Um, the fact that other teams may be stealing signs is not, at least at law, should not be a defense to it, but it captures public opinion. If everybody's doing it, why single out Michigan? I was wondering if you could comment briefly on the case with Major League Baseball, right? They settled with some of these ex-minor league teams. You know, um, they've lost their affiliations with some of the old organizations. I'm thinking New York City's Tri-City Valley Cats and Connecticut's Norwich Sea Unicorns. I mean, talk to us a little bit about what is going on with Major League Baseball here. This issue has its antecedents 100 years ago. What happened 100 years ago is the U.S. Supreme Court looked at a case involving Major League Baseball. It had to do with the Federal Baseball League, and one owner was not absorbed when the Federal Baseball League was absorbed by the National League and American League. So that owner sued, claiming the antitrust laws would show that there was an unlawful conspiracy among Major League Baseball, National League and American League owners. Goes to the U.S. Supreme Court. No less a justice than Oliver Wendell Holmes writes the decision for the U.S. Supreme Court holding that baseball is an exhibition not involved in interstate commerce, and therefore baseball must be exempt from the antitrust laws 
because Congress can only legislate matters that are involved in interstate commerce. That made no sense in 1923 when this decision came down. Teams traveled across state lines. Players traveled across state lines. Fans traveled across state lines in substantial numbers. Twice more, the issue came to the Supreme Court, once in 1953 and again in 1972. Both times, the Supreme Court upheld, come to be called as the baseball exemption, essentially concluding that it makes no sense, the term in the 1972 case, which was flood against Kuhn, it's the Kirk, what's sometimes called the Kirk flood case, was that baseball is an anomaly in antitrust law. But it was up to Congress to fix it. Congress had chosen not to fix it. So the Supreme Court said, we're not going to bother dealing with it now. So for 100 years, baseball has been exempt from the antitrust laws. Not so for professional football, basketball, soccer, theatrical exhibition, you name the sport, the form of entertainment, all subject to the antitrust laws. And Marty, just to be clear, it was those two minor league affiliates that were potentially throwing all of this into disarray. Am I not mistaken in that? Or You're absolutely correct. Amazing. We have those two teams from Norwich and I forget the other. Troy, New York. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, And they challenged it by they sued Major League Baseball and the lower courts have held nothing we can do. We can't overrule the U.S. Supreme Court. And they're right. It's a question of jurisprudence. Um, would the Supreme Court take the case again? Not clear, but Major League Baseball was hedging its bet and settled before the Supreme Court had an opportunity to determine whether or not it would hear the case. I'm going to go back and ask a question about the NCAA and a just good old, a simple question. Are student athletes employees or students? Oh, boy, this is the existential question, I think, for the NCAA and its member institutions. You know, what we know we have as inputs here is that since the O'Bannon decision came down, this was a decision in which the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals held that players are entitled, student athletes are entitled to monetize their name, image, and likeness rights or NIL rights. And then we have the Alston case coming down in 2021, which says that there was an antitrust conspiracy among the NCAA and its member teams to restrict the amount of benefits called other educational or additional educational benefits to which players, student athletes were entitled. So we have those two as inputs. Now players are making money on NIL. They're getting grant and aids, tuition, room and board. They're getting this amount of $5,980 per student per year. Uh, And if you ask me how they came up with that, the answer is, out of a hat, essentially. <laughs> um, the magic. And dark the question is now: Can they get more? So we have two threads of cases going on in the country at this time. One is whether student athletes are employees within the meaning of the Fair Labor Standards Act, which would entitle all student athletes, if upheld, to at least a minimum wage. You. Think of a normal college or university with a thousand student athletes. You're talking about a 15 to 20 million dollar hit on the budget for those schools. There's a second thread uh, brought by the National Labor Relations Board, where the National Labor Relations Board is claiming student athletes are employees within the meaning of the National Labor Relations Act and therefore should be entitled to its benefits, namely the right to organize, 
student athletes become a union and football players say we're not going to play on Saturdays. Right to additional compensation. None of these have been determined yet at a high enough level to make sense. But these are the threads that are going on. And I should add that on the National Labor Relations Board proceedings, have to look at it that there are st- there are schools which are exempt from the National Labor Relations Act, namely a number of state universities in right-to-work states. Alabama would be exempt from it, giving it a competitive advantage because it doesn't have to spend money in that way on student-athletes. So you're going to create more of an imbalance. You're going to create more of a push towards, in my view at least, the power fives and a push away from all the other schools. So it's a mess out there, which could threaten the very existence of the NCAA uh, as an organization and its member institutions for having an amateur way of playing sports. And has huge ramifications also for, if they are deemed employees, the business model, the economic models of these universities. Absolutely, Scarlett. Yeah, a, a huge can I mean, as I mentioned, in the, under the Fair Labor Standards Act, you're talking about minimum a 15 to $20 million hit annually on the budget. Yeah. That's not accounted for at this point. Marty Edel, co-chair, Goulston and Storrs Sports Law Practice, professor of law at Columbia University. You are the man, Marty. Thank you for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. It's been a pleasure being on. Thank you so much for having me. That's Goulston and Storrs Law Practice co-chair and adjunct law professor at Columbia University, Martin Adele. Up next, <laughs> we welcome an NFL legend. Barry Sanders joins us next on the Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Thanks for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. Barry Sanders, number 20 is one of the best to ever do it. Mitchell gets to Sanders. Sanders has got some room to operate. Barry Sanders inside the 10. Touchdown. Unbelievable. Can he accelerate? Now, the Lions are enjoying one of their best seasons so far with big old playoff expectations. And Barry has a new documentary. He took the time to talk with me for a very special conversation this week that Bloomberg U.S. sports reporter Randall Williams also listened in on. Let's hear a little bit of that conversation. Now, I tried very hard to stay cool, calm, and collected for. No! 
Oh, we got Barry Sanders here. <laughs> Welcome, sir, to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. It's great to be here. I'm excited to talk to you too, man. <laughs> oh, man. Now, let's let's talk about – I want to get right into why you're here because you have the documentary coming out about you, Bye Bye Barry, on Amazon, and – it, it goes into the reasons about your retirement. Now, I'm not going to ask the stupid question about, gee, why did you retire? But I am going to ask the question this way, is the reason why you retired in the documentary? I believe, yes, that, that question is certainly answered in the documentary. Um, I think it, it covers a lot. I mean, I don't, it's amazing um, looking at some of the footage. I don't know where they got some of this stuff. And, go, you know, they go back pretty far. Uh, but they certainly cover my NFL career and, and uh, from the first day uh, to the last. So, yes, I, I think that, that question is uh, certainly answered. Now, Barry, I, I have a question for you. When it comes to the timing of this documentary, when you think about you, you could have done this at any point in time, and NFL fans have wondered why you hung your cleats up for so many years. Why was now the time you wanted this documentary to release? I think for me it was just um, because – you know, a certain amount of time has passed. Just being able to reflect on it, um, Prime Video and NFL Network really wanted to um, get behind it, you know, and make it happen. And and so for me, I was just comfortable enough um, to sit down, um, really talk about it, and put all the work into it that was required to be able to make it happen. Um, you know, I mean, they they shot at so many different locations and and um, talked to so many different people. But uh, so really just logistically being able to bring all those things together, um, the timing was just right, uh, you know, sort of here and now. I want to add a little color uh, because, like I said, I I was born and raised in Detroit, and there used to be a mural of you by the bus stop. I mean, huge on the side of a building. And there you are, number 20, Barry Sanders. And I used to look at that, and I think, man, he's on our team. And – you had such, let me put it this way, a grip on the city. People adored you. What was that like? I mean, I know that sounds, you know, it's like, oh, Mike, what do you, what kind of question was that? But it's true. I mean, people <clears throat> adored you in Detroit. For one, I love that mural. That was just kind of sweet being downtown yeah. and seeing this huge uh, image of me on the side of the building. So that that was just kind of cool, um, you know, but uh, but no. But to answer your question, though, I love having that relationship with the city of Detroit. You know, it, uh, it's a unique thing that happens. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't happen by accident. And although I feel like we certainly um, didn't reach all of our goals on the field, you know, a lot of fans feel like we have great memories uh, and times there at the Silverdome. It happened um, organically, you know. So, so, yeah, I love having that relationship. And, you know, it, they, hey, this is an absolute serious sports uh, town you know they're mad about their lions you know they've always supported them and so uh you know so yeah so i i really appreciate that and, and really value that, that relationship barry how crazy is it that the timing of this documentary is also when the lions are having their best season since 1960 that, that's incredible i mean you, you get the franchise's best player and an incredible season all in one is, is there better timing for this Oh, no, that's amazing. I mean, just the synergy there um, is, is awesome. And, uh, you know, I mean, we, as Lions fans, obviously, um, we've, been, we've been waiting for, um, for this kind of a season from the team. Um, you know, we've seen it building o- 
over time. Uh, I don't I, I don't know how the two have happened happened to sort of coincide uh, in in this way. <laughs> um, you know, um, but um, but we're certainly glad that it did um, and it, ha- it has happened this way. Whenever they hired Coach Campbell, um, he came in with a plan, with a vision. Um, you know, he's he stuck to it. You know, he and Brad Holmes, uh, Sheila Ford, Chris Millman. I mean, they they've uh, known from day one the kind of player they want to have in the building. Um, you know, and and we've seen every year this team take strides. Um, you know, and and uh, and it's all sort of coming together this year. Can you imagine if you had NIL when you were playing back at Oklahoma State? I, I mean, you you would be off the chart right now. Forget about making the money in the NFL. You'd have made the money back at Oklahoma State. Oh no, I'd, I'd be one of these kids that that are taking full advantage of like year six or seven planning college, man. <laughs> I mean, you would have ten thousand rushing yards, as many college. COVID years as I can get. Um, you know, so no, that's true though. I mean, it's great to see these kids being compensated. Um, you know, it's college football is still the greatest game out there. You know, we've been having that conversation for how many generations now, right? About mm-hmm. college players being paid. You know, and just hopefully, hopefully um, they get what they you know they deserve. You know, it doesn't tamper with the game too much. Um, you know, but uh, but it's better late than never. So congratulations to all those guys. Absolutely, and I want to I want to ask you a little bit about the running back market in general. It's changed so much since you were a player, and now the running backs are having trouble getting paid. Have you thought about any pathways to? Um, getting things back to where they used to be and really advancing uh, their salaries so that, you know, they can keep making money. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's tough. You know, it, it's it's um, interesting just to watch how the trend has sort of happened over the last few years. I personally still think that uh, there's fantastic runners and running backs in the game that, that really impact the game um, that you need to win, you know, and but it is a business and, you know, teams will uh, – you know they're gonna they're going to put the money where they feel like they get most worth. You know it's a passing oriented game. You know and and I don't know where this is gonna go over. The, you know in the next ten twenty years or whatever. You know but I look at guys like Derrick Henry or guys like uh, Chris McCaffrey, Josh Jacobs or whoever. I, I you know I still think they're guys um, from the running back position. Look at the Lions team this year. Yeah. You know they're well balanced. Uh, they run the football. And so, yeah, I, I just, I still feel like um, you can look at a lot of teams um, and they need to be able to run the football. Um, their best players are, are in the running back position, you know, and I don't, I don't know what you can do really to, to steer things in one direction or another. Certainly there's been, you know, historic quarterback play. You know, you can't deny Patrick Mahomes and, and guys like that, you know, who phenomenal players and uh, deserve everything that they, that they get. But uh, not every team has that. And so I, I still believe um, in most cases you, you need to be able to run the football. I do want to bring up probably one of the the greatest events that ever happened at the old Pontiac Silverdome. God bless that place. I loved it. I was there. I covered it. And that was the 1991-92 <laughs> NFC playoff game. The Lions. Show your age. Uh, yeah, that's right, man. I was there. Lions against the Dallas Cowboys. And the Lions beat the living snot out of the Cowboys. And that is at the time when you had Barry Sanders and I think you had Emmett Smith. I mean, you're looking at this. You had a confluence of brilliant running backs in this game. Barry, do you miss the, the old Silver Dome? Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned that, uh, that game, um, and you think about just, um, you think about all the elements involved in it. The Cowboys to go on to win with three Super Bowls, yeah. um, in the next four, three, four years, four or five years. Yeah. Um, you know, and that was our last playoff win. Man, that play, it was rocking that day, uh, for sure. Um, and, and I know we were excited and, uh, and highly motivated. Um, the fans came out, um, in such a major way, um, you know, that day. And, and, uh, but to answer your question, yes, I mean, I'm, um, I always get a chance, you know, here and there just to be reminded from different fans about the Silverdome, you know, and it certainly has holds a lot of special memories for me. Yeah. It, the, the old Silverdome went down <laughs> like the heart of all the Lions fans, tough as nails because they tried to blow it up the first time. Nothing happened. Yeah. Then they tried to blow it up the second time, and the Silver Dome says, is that all you got? And it finally took a third blast to bring it down. And I was proud of that place. That was that was a lot of fun. Yeah. That was the only home I knew. Absolutely. So, fond memories. Um, you know, it would have been nice to, to have a few more playoff wins. And I think hopefully this, this year's team – will, um, you know, make up for lost time, so to speak. So I, I think that's where we are. Barry, one more before you go. Uh, give us your Super Bowl prediction. You mentioned the playoffs. Um, Super Bowl prediction? I mean, how about um, how about a rematch of, of uh, the first game of the season, Lions-Chiefs? Yeah. I mean, why not, okay. why not that? Okay. You know, why not, why not Lions-Chiefs in, in Vegas? I like this right. man's thinking all the time. You like I love that? it. <laughs> 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 appreciate your time today, Barry. Oh, man, very good. By the way, really quick, do you have still have the, the Ram dealership? Is that still I do. Uh, in place? Yes, yes, I do have, I do have dealership in Oklahoma and Stillwater. Very good, yes. man. Very good. It's uh, you know. Thanks for asking. No, no problem, man. It's like in the uh, in the footsteps of Mel Farr. See, I got to bring that up because Mel Farr, who played for the Lions <laughs> even years ago, back when it was at the old Tiger Stadium, uh, he owned a dealership. It was man. See, I'm sorry. I'm I'm getting. Yeah, wrong. yeah. He owned many. He owned many dealerships for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got a chance to know Mel very well. Great guy. Great Lions player, and also, you know, wonderful. Um, successful car dealer you know so uh but yeah, yeah i'm still still in business in oklahoma and, and looking at looking at actually expanding even so no great great being with you guys okay thank, thank you. you very much yeah. we appreciate thank it you. that's barry sanders in a very special conversation here on the bloomberg business of sports special thanks to him and also to Bloomberg U.S. sports business reporter Randall Williams. Now, if you missed any of that conversation, it's on demand now on the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. Find that on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcast. Another story we've been tracking this week. There's chatter. Ken Griffin is in talks to buy a minority stake in the Miami Dolphins, and he's got the bucks. Griffin is worth $36 billion, according to the Bloomberg Billionaires Index. Last year, he moved his family and his Citadel financial empire to Miami. And not too long ago, in a conversation with Bloomberg's Sonali Basak, he said he's betting big on Miami, becoming a major financial hub. New York is the financial capital of America today. And it's New York's to lose. Now, having said that, Miami, I think, represents the future of America. 
That's Ken Griffin speaking on stage to Bloomberg Sonali Basic at his firm's first global macro conference in Miami. You can listen to that full conversation online now on the Bloomberg Talks podcast. Dolphins owner Stephen Ross is said to be discussing selling part of the team along with the stake in the Hard Rock Stadium and the F1 Miami Grand Prix to Griffin. Ross, a billionaire real estate developer, paid a billion dollars for 95% of the NFL franchise in 2009. And that's a story we will be tracking for you here at Bloomberg. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Michael Barr on X at Big Bar Sports. And follow my colleagues, Scarlett Fu and Damian Sassauer. Scarlett's on X at Scarlett Fu and Damian is on X at D Sassauer. Thank you again for joining us. Tune in again next week for the latest on the stories moving big money in the world of sports. You are listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.